0: Welcome to the Education Marketing Leader Podcast with Chris Raposo. If you're looking to dive into the latest industry insights, draw inspiration from education success stories, or just wanna sharpen your marketing skills, you're in the right place. Here, we bring you a diverse range of voices from experts and leaders in the field, offering you a unique blend of professional development and practical strategies. Whether you wanna understand your audience better stay updated with the latest tech trends in marketing, or expand your professional network, we've got you covered. So while you're driving on your morning commute or winding down after a busy day, let's explore the dynamic world of education marketing together.
1: Hello and welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Education Marketing Leader with Chris Raposo. I am your host. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Kristen Nichols. Kristen Nichols is the founder of Nichols Higher Education. Kristen, welcome to the show.
0: So much for having me, Chris.
1: So Kristen and I met a couple of weeks ago. I heard her on a podcast on the demographic enrollment cliff, and this is what the episode is going to be about. But first, as always, we do a little bit of an intro. So Kristen, I know you have a higher, a master's degree in higher education, and you've worked in the higher ed marketing and and admissions um, industry for about 20 years. And you recently founded your agency after working for higher institutions in the Northeast for a while. So tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and why you chose to dedicate your career to higher ed
0: yeah. Thanks, Chris. Um, You know, it, it sort of happened uh, by accident. I attended Massachusetts College of Liberal Arts out in the Berkshires of um, Western Massachusetts and had an overwhelmingly positive academic and social experience there. Um, I graduated in 2001 with a degree in communications and at the time just felt that working at a college would would suit my needs. And that's something I wanted to pursue. Um, And while I'm not a first generation student myself, um, I do come from a rural town in Massachusetts. I grew up in a quiet area um, from from a working class family. And many of um, my friends at MCLA were first generation. um, And I understand the nuances that they had to navigate as, as first gen students. Um, but I decided to start my career in higher ed back in 2001 as an admission counselor um, and um, had traditional admission roles um, down in D.C. at the Catholic University of America and up in, um, in the Boston area, uh, first at Northeastern. And um, that was really a transformative experience. Northeastern had just broken into the top um, 100 national universities with U.S. News and World Report um, when I started there. And it was a phenomenal place to learn about higher education in the industry. And I'm grateful for that opportunity. Northeastern was also one of probably the first universities at the time in 2007 to have an enrollment marketing team. And while I wasn't on that team, I watched that team and I saw their work. It piqued my interest and I realized that enrollment marketing aligned my undergraduate degree with with higher education and I made the pivot to enrollment marketing first in a hybrid role at Bentley University and then in full um, marketing roles at UMass Lowell and more recently UMass Chan Medical and Bryant.
1: Yeah. So you are the right person to talk about the enrollment cliff with your enrollment background. So uh, like I mentioned earlier that a little bit of background that you will be part of the 2024 Cascade User Conference. And to keynote that conference, we'll have a roundtable discussion on the demographic enrollment cliff. But there are so many different angles how to, you know, attack the demographic enrollment cliff and how to um, kind of balance the scale of the Um, lack of traditional age students that are going to come starting 2025. So it could be, we could talk about, you know, non-traditional students, we could talk about international students, but you told me that the largest growth potential lies in first-generation students. So we'll talk about that and how to market to first-generation students going forward. If you are a like a small college or a medium sized college. You know, we all know that these big universities, University of Miami or Notre Dame, you know, they may not have an issue with, uh, with the enrollment, but the smaller schools are the ones that are going to suffer. So let's just talk about a little bit about the audience to understand it. So how do the backgrounds of uh, first generation students differ from traditionally aged students and how should marketing address some of these differences?
0: Yeah. So as a group, first-generation students are just managing more, you know, in their day-to-day lives. Um, many are supporting um, their families and loved ones. I once worked for a university um, where we did market research, and we asked students what was their um their, you know, major um, social activity outside of the classroom, and it was a, a university with a large first gen population. The number one thing that students did outside the classroom was a, a job. Um, so we have to realize as an industry that there's there's a financial support system on the student. Um, people are relying on them financially. M- many of them are parents to dependent children. Uh, so not all of them, but this is another uh, thing that. You need to take into consideration when you're talking about the values of this of the university or college you're working for. Um, we always everyone boasts their ROI, right? That's just what we do. We love to, um, you know, proudly display. Look at the ROI um, that we can give you, but we skip over the student experience often. And first-generation students need to be recognized um, where they are as a prospect. Um, so we shouldn't leap over, you know, frog leap over the ROI uh, straight to ROI. It need we need to talk about the student experience, the support system offered, um, and what the journey is going to be like um, for these students as they work towards a degree. Um, They're also students for a longer period of time, typically, so it might not be the traditional four-year. It might trend more towards that national average of six, and they're more susceptible to withdrawing because of um, financial constraints, so Universities need to talk about how they stay engaged with students for the long haul. Um, not just showcasing the success stories after graduation, um, but storytelling about the first gen student who's managing so much in their personal lives while also working on a meaningful research. Um, opportunity or partnering with a faculty member and and having that um, engaging personal experience. It's that nurture aspect um, of the student experience that they need. That's where they're going to find comfort, right? And we need to make them as comfortable as possible so uh, they can understand the value of the institution they're looking at. Um, there's nothing wrong with celebrating wins and we should all do that. That's what we should do as marketers, but there is a real value in talking about the day to day. Um, and we shouldn't forget that some of these students are housing and food insecure. So, um, that's another aspect. It shouldn't be in the forefront, but, uh, don't forget about that. Do you have support on your campus for those students who may have, um, shelter or food insecurity?
1: yeah that's uh it's one of those sad stories you know you don't want to particularly tell but it's important because those are the students that are coming to your institutions especially when you're a community college one of those that, that gets you off the ground i went to um, a community college and when i enrolled at university age of at the age of 30 um was first generation student on my on my mom's side of the family and coming from germany as an international i had to work to make ends meet and then go to the university but also that the messaging on social media platforms from the particular college, you know, they were always talking about, oh, hey, between 10 and noon, we're having a booth here at, um, on the campus floor with free T-shirts and free food. But I I never made it because I was obviously working. During that time, I, I went to college um, at 6 p.m. from 6 to 9.30. So there was nothing there, right, for, for those sort of students. So you always kind of felt left out. Um, And this is where the the belonging part of diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging comes in, right? Because people like us may not feel like we belong because we're not the traditional type that is constantly catered to and talked about. So it's very important to also um, make sure that these sort of students feel like they are part of the school so they don't withdraw. Um, Can you talk about some specific messaging strategies to have that have proven during your time working at a university to first-generation students? You know, how are these different than the traditional marketing approach?
0: Absolutely. Um, First, we need to remember that oftentimes first-generation students, not always, but often they're not native English speakers. So um, starting with uh, what are the cultures in your immediate community that you need to embrace and learn more about? Um, you know, many of these first generation students come from cultures where the family is heavily involved with the admission process, even if they're not paying for it, the family, um, the student is financially responsible, the family still wants to feel included. Um, so what does that look like for the, t- the cultures that are in your immediate area that you're going to be recruiting? Uh, you know, audit your digital and physical communications that, uh, you know, around enrollment marketing which ones should be translated into different languages. It doesn't have to be the full suite, but which ones need to either be crafted or if you have them already developed, do they need to be translated into different languages? Mm -hmm. A virtual tour is a great first um, step. If your virtual tour is only in English right now as an institution, I challenge you to find other languages to um, have your uh, digital experience and, and virtual tour in different languages. Um, you know, and start. Uh, you work with your town and city officials to get the get to know the immediate cultures. If you're not doing so already, I worked at an institution located in a city with an enormous Cambodian population. Um, Khmer is the native language of Cambodia, uh, so it just made sense for us to uh, put a virtual tour up there um, with. English, Spanish and Tamer as the um, language options um, and uh, make the wise decision to do that. Um, and, and whatever the languages are um, in your in your immediate area.
1: Yeah, 100 percent. Know your audience, know your direct audience and know the community that you're a part of. I love that. And that is very interesting that Khmer, I never heard of that language before, but there must have been also pretty I mean, if you have people in the community that you should have, folks, you may want to hire on, even if it's just part time to help with the, with the with the language barrier there. And um, there's, you can also utilize AI, of course, don't fully um, rely on it, but you can have some copy created through ChatGPT. So I'm a native German speaker, and sometimes I put something that I wrote in English and put it in ChatGPT and ask it to translate it into German, and it is. By far better than Google Translate. So, even okay. if you have a rough draft and you want to give it to a native speaker and say, hey, does this look right? Would this resonate with um, our key target audience from Cambodia? That's one way to go about it as well, I would say. Um, but you talked about barriers a little bit too, you know, um, and education barriers because um, one of your fellow um, Cascade User Conference presenters. Her name is Day Kibbles, and she is going to present on a topic that's near and dear to her heart. It's called Your Content, the Most Ignored Barrier on Higher Education, where she talks about how we have to write in a way that people understand, um, you know, not on an academic level, but more on a seventh to. Eighth re- grade reading level. So, talk about a little bit um, in your experience what some of the barriers for first generation students are in, in facing higher ed um, or trying to get into a higher ed institution. How can targeted marketing directly address these challenges? I know that you just mentioned that it may not be their first language, not always, but sometimes. So, is there some um, you know is there some content that may be tailored in a way that's more easily digestible for them?
0: Yes. You know, we keep hearing um, how expensive higher education is and it's not worth it. That's not news to any of us. Right. You know, is higher education worth it? Not really. Um, That's kind of the sentiment out there right now. So as a consumer, we need to make the value easy to digest for the prospect. Um, We need to get them comfortable immediately or we're going to lose the audience so um we need to expose them to the support structure available at each institution um, and what does that look like for a first gen student um, it should be one of the first messages out the gate once the prospect enters the system here's the support services we offer for students you're not doing this alone that needs to be the message full stop um and uh, just have that conversational tone that you understand that they're the first one in their family to um, look at and apply to school and that they may not know anyone personally who can help them through the process, but that as an institution, you're there and you're going to help them and you're going to see them through all the way um, to the end. And when they're once they're enrolled and then all the way through to graduation and. Um, and you know show them what a degree in their chosen field will provide them with you know and what a loan repayment structure will look like Think of it the same way uh, you would, you know, uh, tackle purchasing a home or a car. It's not necessarily that big dollar amount. It's the monthly payment, right? What is is it going to look like month over month? And for how long are you going to have to repay that? And contrast that with, and here's what it would look like if you didn't get this degree. That kind of demonstrates the ROI long term. And the the sticker price isn't is scary to the student if you break it down. So um, and, empower them, and um, this must be developed closely with your student life and enrollment teams. This can't be something that marketing does in a vacuum. This is something where. Uh, Roundtable discussions with different leadership and stakeholders across the institution who are actually laser focused on enrollment and student success can work with you to craft the messages that are authentic.
1: That yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You know, never work in silos; always work in a yeah. cohesive unit towards a common goal. And I like the way you 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 frame this too. You know, you, you always see the big sticker items: people walking away from university with $100,000 in debt and they only make $50,000 or something like that, you know, those horror right. stories. But if you break it down, like you said, in the monthly payments, and then also over the lifetime, the 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 how much more a college graduate earns compared to a non-college graduate, you know, then that, that'll be enticing and that'll open uh, the eyes of those prospective students to see, hey, you know, right now this looks really scary, but in a long run, this is going to be really beneficial, really and it will help you um, get promotions as well along the way if you put in the effort after you graduate. But we talk a lot about the theories of you know communication, but how do you actually push that out, right? How important are digital platforms like social media and website in reaching these first generation students? And what are some of the best practices on these platforms? Yeah.
0: Social media is, is is step one. Right. So it, get the reels, get the stories out there demonstrating a life, uh, you know, a day in the life of the first gen student. Don't always skew 18 to 22 either. Right. Chris, you're a perfect example of this. You've lived this this life. So, yes, 18 to 22 year olds are still the traditional and we shouldn't forget them. But we also need to showcase um, first gen and older students who are are a day in the life on the campus. What are they doing? What are they doing when they're not in the classroom? Um, be authentic. We know that Gen Z wants authenticity. So just show it for what it is um, and and you know it doesn't have to be doom and gloom but you don't have to sugarcoat it either just say this is what we're juggling and this is how we're supporting and this is the day to day and um you know that is really important as far as other digital platforms certainly we need to uh, go back to the different communities um in the area and find out where our students spending their time digitally mm-hmm. right and um that what cultural uh, types of uh, websites are they visiting? Um, what are they engaging with? What types of platforms? And then tailor your digital advertising um, to you know display on those types of places, and then and measure it to see if it's actually um, working and and giving you traction and movement.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Keep measuring, see if there's movement. What it happens if let's say you have four platforms, right? And one of them does not perform. You're just throwing it on there because, you know, you have it. Would you say just walk away from it and don't spend any more time on a certain platform? Let's say Facebook no longer works for you guys and it's just a waste of time.
0: Yeah, I mean, Facebook is it, it, people aren't going to Facebook, but it's still the parent platform. So I would never tell anyone pull off Facebook completely. People are still visiting there; they're just not staying, they're not engaging as long. Um, so I, while I wouldn't say spend most of your efforts there, I wouldn't pull out completely. I, I, I you know, there is value in having, um, you know, some some um, exposure on on Meta. Uh, and in Facebook.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's talk about community engagement a little bit. You know, demographic enrollment, Cliff, there's going to be a shift in the demographics, and some of these demographics, some of these cultures, they are more um, community based, right? So, um, can you discuss the role of community engagement in marketing to first generation students? And do you have specific examples that um, some successful ones that you've seen in the past?
0: Yeah, so it, uh, marketing needs to work closely with the communications and uh, arm as well. So what are you doing in community relations and government relations? And how are you celebrating um, different communities within your area? And then marketing can go ahead and... and. Um, properly display those um, celebrations. So it's not just about the students who are there, who are first gen um, and the different cultures that they come from, but working with the community at large to understand first gen students is step one, talk to the local communities and then engage them in conversation on campus hire them on your staff but then do things like you know some things that um, a highly first-gen institution i worked for um, demonstrated was a portuguese photography exhibit we had a large portuguese community um, a southeast asian cultural celebration um, latin music um, uh, demonstrations and concerts and then this is just candy and um for, for marketers to just take out, write stories about them because the engagement is there. People come to these events, they're excited about them. You can put them in a variety of different um digital and print publications, and um, they're, they're visually displayed perfectly, uh, and the story kind of tells itself. So keep doing that. Keep engaging. Keep bringing these people to campus. Um, your campus doesn't stop uh, right at the end of the physical you know, barrier of campus. It should bleed out into the community as much as possible um, and, and work with the community.
1: Absolutely, absolutely agree. I, I love that 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 they put this on these shows. You know, to have that culture aspect that these um, first generation students are so used to that builds trust if you implement it into your into your own um, ecosystem of the university. I always like to say, social proof is the best proof, yeah. uh, especially in marketing. So let's talk about success success stories and uh, representation. How effective? is using success stories of current and former students, first-generation students in marketing materials and why is that so important?
0: it's students need to see themselves in, in students who they identify with. Right. So it, it, it is it is the bedrock of um, enrollment, marketing, communications. And um, we know this. So first gen students need to see students at every point in their degree process from um, I'm not sure this is what I want to do, but I'm going to you know fill out an RFI form and see where it takes me all the way through to graduation. And and having that story structure, right? And that communication plan where you hit the student over um, a period of time with different um, student stories, uh, it, it is hugely beneficial. And if you aren't doing that, you need to start doing it now and you need to build out build out a communication plan that demonstrates first generation students at every single point in their journey. And that's going to make the prospective student feel better, not feel overwhelmed about the process and mm-hmm. not feel like a degree is unattainable.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. So let's talk about um, you know, in the end of the at the end of the day, marketers, we have to show success for our efforts, what are some of the metrics or indicators that you suggest institutions should measure to see if their communication was effective um, towards non-traditional students?
0: So, you know, customize your communication plan and then focus your, um, you know, use data-driven metrics available in the CRMs and web analytics and social analytics, et cetera, right? That's just stuff. We all know that. So take a look at the data um, specific to your first-gen communications and pieces, um, but anecdotal conversations are vital as well. Stopping and just stopping someone in the hall on your way to a meeting to ask them how things are going, and maybe just tuck away what they what they tell you for um, a future conversation is is important. Don't you know? Don't uh, forget about the value of just stopping and talking with with your colleagues. Focus group: first generation students, student success support staff, and faculty at least annually to see how things are going and to overlap that with the the digital analytics so that you can really get a good story and and see if things are effective and you can tailor your communications and put more weight behind the communication pieces that are working.
1: Yeah, let's look to the future. You know, with the demographic Mm -hmm. shift in higher education, what um, what are some of the trends that, um, you know, A.I. is big right now, but what are some of the trends that institutions should be aware of when marketing to first generation students going forward and how to adapt quickly to these to these changes?
0: Yeah, Um, we can't forget about the traditional college student, but I, I urge us as an industry to realize that the definition of traditional college student is changing. And, and we need to define um, what the traditional college student in 2024 is and, um, and embrace that change and that new definition fully. So yes, AI is completely changing everything and we need to change with it. Um, there's so much to learn around that, but enrollment um, is changing. The age of the student is changing the the challenges that the student fa- faces are, are changing. So I think as an ind- industry we need to take a step back and say what are we doing and is it still working and are we defining things correctly for 2024? And um, that's that's something I'd like to see in us uh, really shape in the next 12 months.
1: That's good. Take a step back, see if what we're doing is still working and avoid saying that's just how we've always done it. It's the most important thing to look forward. So let's say somebody's walking through the beautiful downtown area of Boston, Massachusetts, and you just so happen to be there and they see you and they say, hey, Kristen, what is one piece of advice you would give me to create a more meaningful connection with my first generation students?
0: You have to start where they are and you have to identify who they are as a student. It's not a one size fits all. Choose a friendly approach, right? Be their, their partner and their, and their um, ride shotgun with them the entire way. That's the type of tone that will, will win Uh, will win them over and make them feel more comfortable with the process overall Um, and reassure them that you're going to be there every step of the way, that their success is your success.
1: That is rich. That is so rich and, and so relevant as well. Kristen, I don't want the conversation to stop here. How can people get in touch with you to learn more about you and ask you some more questions?
0: Oh, thanks, Chris. I'm on LinkedIn. So um, Nichols Higher Education or Kristen Nichols, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and i happy to engage with anyone there if they shoot me a message or want to connect.
1: Very good. Thank you so much for being part of the show today.
0: Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show today. If you enjoyed it, don't keep it to yourself. Share with your friends in your network And if you have a moment, I would really appreciate a review of the podcast. That'll help other people find the show as well. Tune in every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. when I release another episode. Take care now. Have a good one, friends.